Happy Monday, Pulse Check listeners. President Biden is slated to pardon two North Carolina turkeys today ahead of Thanksgiving. We're wishing you safe travels if you're hitting the road to visit loved ones this week. This is Pulse Check. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Last week, Senators Bernie Sanders and Bill Cassidy announced they will pursue top positions on the Senate Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. Kentucky's Rand Paul, a contender for the top GOP slot, said he would pursue the top Republican seat on the Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs Committee instead. Paul still plans to push for an investigation into the origins of COVID-19, but the Democratic majority will decide whether to do so. As of Friday in the U.S., two new subvariants of COVID-19's Omicron strain had displaced the variants targeted by updated bivalent boosters introduced in September. Biden administration officials are worried about the increase of these strains, which appear to be able to render ineffective monoclonal antibody treatments for those with compromised immune systems. mRNA vaccine manufacturers Pfizer and Moderna said their bivalent boosters still worked better against the emerging variants than the original COVID vaccines. And my colleague, Krista Marr, I uh, cover public health and the CDC for Politico, is here to talk about the current state of the immunity debate spurred by the surge in RSV cases in children. Hi, Krista. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. Can you walk me through how bad this year's RSV season is compared to, to previous seasons? Sure. I've talked to a few pediatricians um, in different parts of the country who are working in children's hospitals, and it's really bad. Um, What's happening is they are seeing levels now in early November for this virus that they usually see like in January. So basically, they're already at like the most severe levels that they get reach later in the winter. And they're also seeing the virus impacting kids like at a much broader age group. So not only infants and toddlers, but kids who are also three, four, and five, which is generally a lot older than this virus like severely impacts children. So you mentioned that we see RSV every year. I always assumed it wasn't that big a deal because it's so common. Why do you think we're seeing more and more kids in pediatric hospitals? In normal pre-pandemic times, RSV is not that severe for most children and for adults. Adults also get RSV. But what you would normally get is something like a mild cold. Um, the, the groups that it's always the most dangerous for are infants, um, and especially like pre, premature babies, for instance, and then also elderly people. What's happening this year is that, as I mentioned earlier, like it's not just severe for those really tiny kids. It's also severe for a larger group of kids. And what the CDC and a lot of doctors and public health experts that I talked to said is that it's because they were not exposed to RSV in the same way that they had been before the pandemic. And that's because we did things like wear our masks and lock down schools and not get together with family and friends as much. And so there just wasn't as much of the virus circulating and kids weren't exposed to it for the first time. Got it. And so I, I get the sense this is sort of this the meaning of the phrase immunity debt that we've heard thrown around a little bit. Is that right? 
Right, exactly. And that phrase started to be used earlier in the pandemic when we started putting all of these mitigation measures into place. Epidemiologists were like, hmm, this might be something we might have to quote unquote pay for later in the sense that we're not seeing a bit, large amounts of flu or RSV right now, but perhaps once everything lifts, we will see them. And and that is what is happening now. Okay. So with the concept of immunity debt, are people advocating that we shouldn't have done much for COVID? Because it sounds like given how bad COVID was, you know, we didn't really have a choice then. Well, the doctors that I talk to are definitely not advocating that and would, in fact, like to see people continue to mask as all kinds of viruses sort of ricochet around right now in the winter. Um, But in some corners of social media and in some parent groups, there is a discussion of like, did this hurt my children's immune system to not get exposed to diseases. And I think that concept is something that doctors are really worried about because they don't want parents to feel that their children should be exposed to a virus that is dangerous or deadly. And and they argue also that that's just simply not how our immune system works. You know, you, your immune system does not get stronger per se by continued exposures. It's just that it reacts differently after different exposures. So I think that, that, that this conversation about immunity debt has really created some concern among public health experts. So what can the federal government actually do to help alleviate some of the pressure on pediatric hospitals that are that are filling up? And, and what are we going to expect uh, the federal government to do with some of the pressures that certain groups are already putting on it? Well, last week, two major pediatric care groups did ask the Biden administration for a public health emergency to be declared um, to kind of loosen up funding and loosen up flexibilities. Um, And I don't believe that the Biden administration has weighed in on that in particular. Have you heard anything about that one way or the other? Uh, That is a great question. I believe the last I saw the Biden administration was still sort of sidestepping this issue. Okay. So that's my understanding also. Um, States have um, invoked some emergency measures. A few states have where the virus has been really bad. Um, But other than that, um, there isn't, you know, there isn't a lot. I don't think that the federal government can be expected to do right away. I mean, particularly in this moment, in this lame duck session that we're getting into right now with a ton of priorities happening, um, it might be a big ask um, for the government to uh, set aside or or sort of appropriate uh, new funding for this. Part of the problem, though, that's like the bigger picture problem is that uh, pediatric hospitals have been thinly stretched for a while. So a lot of hospitals um, can't afford to keep their pediatric beds running, like in smaller hospitals in parts of the country. So they've closed their pediatric beds. And there aren't a lot of pediatric infectious disease specialists around the country. I heard one doctor say that there is something like a thousand pediatric infectious disease specialists in the entire nation, which 
really is not a lot if you think about it, especially when you hit a situation like this where pediatric hospitals are totally full. And I think that systemically, there's something that is going to have to be revisited here because, you know, you can't have people driving their small infants two, three, four, five hours to try to find a bed when they are having trouble breathing and maybe, you know, need very immediate care. I mean, that's a nightmare situation for any parent. So I I hope that that somebody does heed the call that there needs to be these kind of there needs to be a bigger look at what's 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 going wrong in pediatric emergency care in the country. Well, thank you so much for walking us through this really important issue, Krista. Thanks for having me. And that's our show. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Afra Abdullah and Annie Reese are our producers. Our healthcare team editors are Eli Reyes, Dan Goldberg, Barbara Van Tyne, Beth Belton, and Sean Zeller. Jenny Ahmet is the executive producer of audio at Politico. I'm Catherine Ellen Foley. Subscribe and follow Pulse Check for a new episode every day. And subscribe to our newsletters where you can read this reporting. Pulse, Future Pulse, and Prescription Pulse. Thanks for listening.